Welcome to the Wild Expansion Podcast. Wild Expansion teaches soulful go-getters how to create a business and life they love. My name is Myra, your host, and I create online courses teaching you how to rediscover your authentic voice and step into your power. So this week's episode is different. It's all about finances and saving money, especially if you want to save for your first home. So I saved for my first home last year and I did my saving through a Lifetime ISA, which is in the UK. And what this means is that the government gives you 25% of government money of whatever amount you save. So if you save £4,000 a year, the government gives you £1,000. So that's what I did last year. And Skipton is an online bank. And I had Darren McKeever as my financial advisor to help me with my mortgage and to keep me right when trying to find a property. So he was kind enough to come on this podcast And the sort of questions that I am asking him include top tips for how to start saving, um, how much we should be putting away each month, what government scheme you should be using, so like a lifetime ISA, um, his thoughts on stocks and share trading apps, his recommendations for useful websites and newspapers to keep up to date with financial information and what advice he would give his 26 year old self. So I would love for you to be open-minded and listen to this podcast and let me know what your key takeaways are and yeah Darren is a great man. He was really helpful for me so if you are looking anyone to help you with a mortgage I'd recommend getting in touch with him. So without further ado, I'll let the podcast start. So Darren, welcome to the podcast. And for anyone who doesn't know who you are, would you mind just giving an introduction to yourself? Okay. Um, Well, I'm an independent financial advisor. um, have been for the last 16 years as an independent and in the industry for the last 23 now. Um, So I live down in County Fermanagh, um, but obviously travel around Northern Ireland and the UK quite a bit. So um, as I say, we specialize in a range of areas, investments, pensions, mortgages, inheritance tax all that so that that's a bit of background to me um i've lived in fermanagh for most of my life more or less i've lived in london for a few years and belfast and so on but you always tend to come back to where you come from so uh that's that's sort of the the background to me and Aaron, what's the difference between an independent financial advisor and then a standard financial advisor well, you have two versions. So on the on the independent route, um, you basically have access to the whole of market. So you can choose products or platforms from a variety of different providers. Um, so that allows you to sort of research the market and to find out who's best at doing what. Um, on a on a I suppose a restricted financial advisor basis, then you are 
tied to a specific list of companies that the the overriding employer so to speak or um network decide on who you can use and what you can use uh, and then that's your advice is limited around that so you'll still have all the 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 tax wrappers it just may mean that you don't have specifics in dealing with a specific company um that may offer something better than what might be on the panel and you help people like get mortgages for their homes first time buyers yeah we can, yeah, mortgages is, is one area, yeah, on the first-time buyer, you know, remortgages, buy-to-lets, commercial, basically cover anything financial, more or less. Mm -hmm. So I'd say a lot of the listeners are hoping to like, buy their first home. So what tips mm -hmm. do you have for someone who wants to save for a house? Well, I suppose the, the first, first sort of thing I would say is it's trying to get in the habit of saving. Um, it's creating that habit. Because um, once you've done that, then you've got a base, uh, and it, it can be it'll, it's surprising how you build it from there. Um, so the the first thing I would say is that obviously most people have a bank account, not necessarily two bank accounts. So I would look at creating some form of a savings account or a separate account that is not as readily or as easily to access initially. Um, and set up something where you're putting across an amount of money each month to build that up, um, be it weekly, monthly, if, depending on what you get paid, uh, to build that up in due course so that you have something in reserve. That would be the starting point. Um, and then, obviously, as that starts to build and you've started to create that habit, then it's sort of a case of diversifying slightly in, in terms of what what you're actually saving for. So then if it's the, the mortgage front, um, you start looking into the likes of what well, the laces as they are now used to be held to buy. Um, uh, things they got there are you know, cash aces, anything that sort of allows you to build up something in the background that is away from your main account. Um, so then it doesn't get sort of diluted or used up for, oh, I like that thing in the shop, so to speak. So uh, um, th that would be that would be the first thing to do. So the very basic thing, just maybe create a separate account somewhere where you don't have necessarily access to a a tap card or you know hole in the wall or whatever. It just makes you think of well, do I really need to access that or will I just let it build away in the background and then I have a, a reserve, be it even not necessarily if it isn't for a house, but at least if you start with that premise that it is going towards that, then you know to sort of let it sit and um, build from there. Um, depending on the time frame, if it's sort of five years, six years, seven years down the line before you think you're going to buy a house or you think it'll take that length of time to build the deposit, then you may look at something else that is a sort of a savings type vehicle that possibly has a bit more potential for a return over that time frame um if it's under five years realistically you would be into your cash stroke deposit accounts because you wouldn't necessarily be open to the risk of wanting that to change dramatically in that short time frame 
And so, yeah, there's two schemes, help to buy and a lifetime ISA. Mm-hmm. Are they both still in rule or like what one would you recommend? No, well, uh, help to buy is finished from last, uh, well, I think it was September 19, around that. Um, but it's it's done and dusted. So now you have the LISA, which has taken its place, which is a slightly, I suppose, a hybrid of two things. Um, it allows you to save for retirement effectively in one respect but then within that it gives you the option to draw out of it for a home purchase mm-hmm. so that, that's the two the two things within the ISA, within the LISA that you're allowed to do and say so with Eliza, the government gives you 20 percent isn't it or 25 percent 25 percent of whatever mm-hmm. you save yeah. say you mm-hmm. use Eliza. that's what i used to buy my first home can yeah. you reopen Eliza for retirement? Like, can you reopen it once you were ready? Yeah, to? yeah. Basically, you 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 save in it. There's four thousand a year that you're allowed to save up to in it, and you qualify then for the twenty five percent at the end of the year. And um, when you use it then for your house purchase, you're technically not closing it as such. You can decide to close it, but you can remain it open, um, and then carry on then as a retirement pot uh, for later and still qualify for the the 25 percent on whatever you pay in after that point Mm -hmm. so what is what are the benefits for the retirement pot do you get any percent well it's just effectively as tax relief um like it's it's another form of of saving like obviously you will still get you know your personal pension scenario where um you will basically have tax relief on that as well the difference with the the lisa is that the obviously the lump sum at the end of it is not taxable yeah. so um that that's the big the big benefit over and above um there uh in that you effectively can take that lump sum and at age 60 and that's that the downside is obviously the fact you have to wait until that time frame um you can't make any payments after age 50 either so you've effectively paid in the pots there for 10 years where you can technically touch it without penalty. What percent do you recommend put away each month to save? Well, I would start at sort of around the ten percent mark would be the 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 guide, um, and then it's really it really depends on, I suppose, affordability or where where you're at, you know, in terms of bills and income and earning potential sort of thing. So it would start at ten and work your way up from there sort of thing if, so, you, if you're in for 10 percent you know even if it's 10 percent of the gross um for that matter then that would be a good target to try and do so it could be better like, to start small at 10 and then if it's easy enough then try and increase it to 11 percent. Uh, it's just it's just creating it's creating the habit initially yeah. so that you can you can do something uh like 10 percent you know 10% mightn't sound a lot, but the fact if your gross is, for example, 2,400, mm-hmm. but then you lose tax, national insurance, and all the other, the time you take 10% of that, it still, still equates to 2,400 a year. So it still adds up um, as, a, as a good starter um, and then sort of take it from there. I think that's where I was going wrong. I was trying to put away too much percentage each month, and then it was just unrealistic. But if I keep it small, maybe it'll be easier. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, if you if you keep if it's always it's better to do something than do nothing. 
um, would be what I would say. So uh, um, it is that thing, obviously, if you've got a, a target and you want to hit it, um, then obviously that's where you do that thing of making those sacrifices, say, well, I'm putting that away rather than going out three nights this week and just leave it at one. <laughs> so uh, it's just, it, you know, and, and it's hard to sort of prioritize those things whenever there's so many things going on. But um, that that's really the, the point of um, where you start. And then when you create that habit and have some money built up on the background, it becomes easier as time goes on. Do you have any other like good money habits that we could get into? Um, well, the the usual things is is just checking out on you know where money is potentially getting wasted, um, and that's you know on fees or you know bank accounts that have certain charges, credit card bills if people use them, you know making sure that you know, they're not being stoned for interest, um, just places where it's easy to lose 15, 20 quid, 30 quid you know, on, on silly things that effectively aren't making you any money and just making other people money. So that, that would be the start on things. And obviously the, the usual then with insurances for car and um, other bits and pieces, that, that would really be it. And then it's just, the, the other thing is, I, I suppose it's, it's that thing of, do I need to get a? Do I need to make this purchase and go and look for a loan that creates more debt that basically has to get paid off? Um, so it's it's nearly going back a number of years in in terms of how it used to be in in relation to it doesn't all need to be got now because mm-hmm. um, it, it is that thing of everyone wants something today as opposed to well hold on a minute is it really going to change my life that much? Um, and it's when the debt starts to spiral, that's when the issues start to occur. And it's hard to reverse it back. So the, the yeah. one thing is try and minimize debt that it's as, as affordable as possible um, without you know, reducing the ability to still put other monies aside. Because I'm not saying all debt is bad because you have to have a balance of both, but it has to be affordable. It seems like it's harder and harder now to buy things outright. Like they're just really encouraging you to take out. Ooh, there is that. Yeah, there, there's definitely that. Um, like you see it in cars and everything. That's that's sort of everything's on the on the the never never, as the saying goes, on these uh, PCPs and various things. But that that's there's a process to them, obviously, doing that in terms of obviously being able to offload more and more cars. So there's a there's an eventual wheel. That goes round, but obviously they're lab- they're you know all that debt is falling somewhere, which is down to the, the individual. Um, and yes, it's that thing of why would you want to buy a second-hand car if this one only costs this and there's no issues with it? Sometimes you have to weigh them things up, and it depends on the deal that you get, whether it's a lease or whether it's something you hand back or whatever the case is. You you have to weigh up. There is pros and cons because you know. If you are going to ha- hand out money in a one-off for a car, then obviously that money is then gone as such. So you haven't got the availability to that capital anymore. Whereas it can be when you offset that on a regular basis, then the fact that you had the capital in the first place and still have the capital, you're still more in control. So that's where I'm saying some debt is good and some's not. Um, but it's all how you manage it and 
how how you know you can manage it. So if you're paying out something that you know, well, if I don't, if something goes wrong in the next two months, I don't have anything to fall back on here. So that that's where where you have to sort of level it out. What are your thoughts on stocks and shares trading apps like Moneybox or trading one two one two? Well, like they're very useful from the point of view of the fact that it again I go back to this thing of creating a habit because um, once you know because of the way they're set up and what they allow you to do, which is effectively tap loose change on a purchase on into the into their system, mm-hmm. and you know it, it is a more I suppose it's a more accessible um, avenue because it's done there and then just through the flick of a, a button as opposed to you know having to set up um, an account. You obviously, you do that initially, but having to go through certain processes that other platforms have to do. So they, they are good from a, a technological point of view. Um, obviously, what they invest in is primarily what they call tracker funds um which is just an index so i don't know if you're familiar FTSE 100 is an index s p 500 that sort of thing so they have a range of companies inside of that and then sort of just track their momentum or their their progress uh, in terms of what happens on the markets day by day so there is no as i would call it active management per se so there's no one saying well okay well actually we want to reduce exposure to maybe this area or that area because, you know, for example, oil at the minute and so on and so on. So that has a knock-on effect to primarily say the FTSE. Um, there's a lot of oil companies within that, but that the one thing that you probably lose is just the, the active management side of it. Um, but you know, it, it will suit some and not others. Can they choose like what index funds you invest in or do you have to choose? There's an, the, the primarily, um, as far as I'm aware, I think you have to choose as the individual. They, 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 there's not, it's not a mental amount of options. Um, you, you will have a number of, a, a few options, but you're not going to have you know, a long, long list of like 200 or something to choose from. So there'll be a, a small parameter um, as to what it is. So um, that's, that's sort of, what they do, as I say, it is it is a useful thing because of the technology that they use in relation to being able to make it more available um, for people. So at least it gives them that chance of creating a habit. But obviously, you know, there does come risk with it. Like, but again, it, it's it's down to how much people put in it and how much they use and what their overall um, outlook is on it. Mm-hmm. So if they're if they're looking for long term investment or something to that effect, or you know it it is only a small portion of the overall uh, wealth that they have, then yeah, all those things are taken into consideration. But it is purely a um, it's there's not really any advice in it, so to speak. Is there much like financial incentive if someone wanted to buy like a second house and buy to let? Well, there's no, like, when you say a financial incentive, there's more financial disincentives than there are incentives. And that's purely just with the, the, the government tax um, situation because you have a 3% levy on the, um, on the stamp duty, which has to come into play. Then you obviously have 
unearned income from the, the rental. So that, that also has a tax liability on, on your income tax that you're going to pay. And you've added stress then of, <laughs> of tenants and if they pay and if they don't pay and upkeep of property and various other things. So um, everyone can deal with this in different ways and people are, you know, what I would say is that the buy to let can be a good investment. It's not necessarily for everyone um, because everyone can't be a landlord. It just doesn't work that way. Um, but uh, it, it can be good, but obviously there's pros and cons. Mm -hmm. is the, the long and short, but it's just it's just uh, you know people being aware of those initially, um, and then sort of assessing then whether they can look after that property or have the the contacts to say well something goes wrong can I ring such and such or or have a, a good management company that can do that for you sort of thing. But it it all comes back to what you can earn out of it. Like obviously in the past some people had went into buying the property just purely for the proper the capital growth because seeing things moving up might have been a bit before your own time like but uh, it, it basically the, the idea is that obviously you make money on it um and then forgetting about the yield so you had situations buying property and like your yield was probably two or three percent by the time you took costs and the rent that you were getting against the value um so you, you have to be sort of looking at a, a half decent yield for your efforts, so to speak. What do you think the future of the property market's going to look like in Northern Ireland post-corona? Do you have any that's idea? A, that's a kind of a million dollar question, that. Even <laughs> it, it really, wall there. <laughs> nah, it really just, to be fair, it'll, it'll all come down to how how the economy responds in, in reality and how, how it's allowed to respond um, because it's kind of unknown in terms of what businesses will get back into traction and you know how many jobs will be affected if there's more unemployment then obviously there's not going to be as much demand um, there's still going to be supply that's there but you know, when you offset money is the other then that usually has a negative effect but look it's 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 very early i would say and it's very unknown all around um as to what way it'll pan out because if too many things like you know, second waves and whether there's further impacts down the line if they have to you know go locked down again and how that affects the whole ability to to get businesses going again and all that and then you have pubs and restaurants and hotels who probably not be open for a while yet and obviously that that uh, yes that industry um but obviously there's people that would be relying on that income to you know, do do things within society basically so you know that, that is going to quell demand a bit it's, it's just unknown in all honesty is the the simple answer if i had the answer then i'd know what to do <laughs> I think we're all in that boat. Nobody knows what way. No, well, that's it. It's just a, uh, it's it's just impossible. Like uh, obviously, everyone is expecting with the the various measures that have been put in place across the world, effectively, you know, with central banks pumping in money left, right, and centre, and and doing what they can to make sure that businesses 
carry on as they were back in February, so to speak, or get back to that level. Um, but it will just take time for that to all wash through. What are some websites or newspapers you think are useful to keep up to date with financial information? Well, I suppose, from my view, they might be a bit technical, but Financial Times is always good and Money Facts. Um, they sort of tell you, you know, and even um, the Martin Lewis one, to be fair, um, he, he comes across with some good information, in all honesty. Um, so it'll, it'll cover all all the bits and pieces you want. Now, obviously, a lot of what's possibly in the Financial Times is more stock market related. So depending on how tuned into that area or you want to be or, or need to be, because there's, there's various versions of financial um, from your, your, I suppose your, your day-to-day dealings, which are bank accounts, credit cards, loans, that sort of thing. And then you, you go then to the saving element where that can be again deposit orientated just with Bank of England interest rate orientated or your stocks and shares and individual shares, indexes, funds, that sort of thing. So really depends on the person um, and their circumstances and then obviously you can but you'll get you'll get all of that from from those sources. Do you have any advice that you would give your 26-year-old self when it comes to money or saving? Well, I go back to that first thing of just trying to create a habit. Um, and one other sort of um, thing that was mentioned to me back at that time, which was basically when buying a, a property, um, it's not necessarily as easy today, possibly as then, but... Um, when you were buying it, even say as a, if there was a couple buying it, for argument's sake, is to try and base it on one wage um, rather than the two, purely from a point of view of what if they're a couple and they intend to go to the next step of starting a family and all that, then you're not going to be into a high stress situation when one has to stop work and look after the children, and um, or if, if that was the case. Um, but it's just it's one thing that always stuck with me in terms of trying to to make it affordable for on the one salary or one wage as opposed to having to use the two because normally if you're pushing everything to the limit at some point that's going to lead to financial pressure mm-hmm. which leads to stress which leads to people going mad basically in, in, a, in a roundabout way but that would be the sort of a, a very basic starting point if at all possible um, and then you know it, 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 things tend to evolve from there sort of thing. I never thought of that before that's a good tip. Mm-hmm. That's good <laughs> it was actually an uncle-in-law of mine that that's how I come into the industry and he, he actually stated to me so it's it obviously stuck. <laughs> so that was 26 years ago, but not <laughs> no, it couldn't be 26 years ago, 20, no, 21 years ago, I suppose. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving myself no help there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need luck, that I will, so <laughs> <laughs> I started when I smile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Darren, I asked the listeners if they have any questions to ask you, and then there's one question here, and it is, 
who is the best person to deal with when it comes to like pensions and the correct tax number? Uh, and when, when you say pensions and their correct tax number, the tax numbers obviously will be, uh, will, it's a HMRC direct. Now, obviously, you can either go be an accountant for that um, or just speak to HMRC directly in terms of what they will do. Uh, is it the tax code whenever they get sent out or something? Is that what they're talking about? I'm yeah. Not. <laughs> not sure what they haven't specified. Um, but if it's to do with pensions, then if it's auto-enrollment, they'll usually be a HR or um, uh, you, they can put you in touch with the pension provider directly. Or again, it may be an advisor, depending on the... I'm sorry for being a bit wide in the answer because the, the question leads to all sorts of <laughs> things specifically because if it was a specific question if it was regarding you know state pensions then you basically can get things such as a, a pension forecast from the revenue and um, which would give you an idea in state pension but i can't imagine the listeners thinking about that now if they're they're probably more likely your age and they are closer to 64 so but um so that would be an answer to the pension. It depends on what the pension question is. Yeah. There, there are various angles, but an advisor, they can ask questions to the accountant if it's tax number related uh, or the revenue directly. And Darren, just summarize again, what like services you offer to help people with? Well, I suppose in reality, I cover investments, pensions, savings, inheritance tax, tax planning, mortgages, anything financial, realistically. Is there anything with a financial element to it, we would probably be, or I would probably look at. Can help or gay. Well, <laughs> sorry. Um, what should people look out for when choosing like a good financial advisor? Well, I do view the independent side of it as useful, to be fair, um, because it does give you full market access. Um, after that, I suppose it's down to knowledge and how they interpret with the individual, um, because anything in business is really down to the relationship as much as anything. and. You know, some want different things out of it. Some want to be transactional. Can you do this buying asset end off? Thank you. Or others want to build up a, a longer term um, relationship where you know, you're looking after investments over a period of time and, and providing advice ongoing sort of thing. So it really, it, it really comes down to what the individual's sense or feel like it's a, it's a hard one sometimes outside looking in as opposed to <laughs> inside looking out um you know, whenever i deal with people I just try to make convert what i know in my head into a manner that is maybe easy for them to understand the same way as when i get a an electrician in or something to that effect and I want to ask a question I'm hoping that he can make it 
more simplified than what it potentially looks like. <laughs> so, and same for dentists or whatever the case is. So, and physios. So, it's just a, it's just that situation of being able to know what you know, but convert it into a way that makes it understandable for someone else. That's great, Darren. If anyone mm. wants to connect with you, where's the best place to send them? Um, well, you have uh, LinkedIn or, you know, uh, they can check our website, uh, wwfp.net, um, and uh, you'll be able to get my email details or contact details from there. Okay. Well, great stuff, Darren. Thank you. No problem at all.